Good morning, everyone. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis 37, please. Great to be together. Exciting to uh, do a great Bible study today on the Joseph. And uh, if you're visiting, we are doing a series, as Brian referred to. Uh, last week was Noah. It's a man series, men. Uh, Noah, and now it begins today as Joseph, a split second, can last an eternity. Next week, it's Moses, learn, adapt, overcome. And then the final week will be David, change history with just one strike. So I think you'll uh, get a lot out of it. Uh, Joseph has definitely got to be my favorite Bible character. And I, what I love about Joseph is he is, he is an everyman uh, Bible character. Because uh, the Bible records his journey happening at 17 years old. And then gives us just bits and pieces until he turns 44. And so it kind of a, it addresses the teenagers, 17. Addresses the middle age, however you want to say this middle age. And I would say it addresses the older people because people died often younger back then. So it covers everybody. But I want to, uh, just this whole idea of writing the future. And, um, you know, here's a, a famous character. This is actually him smiling. Uh... Almost every picture, it's the, uh, that's when he had hair and before it was gray. Uh, but he, um, he's a really interesting character. He's probably been written about uh, more than almost anybody. And Winston Churchill uh, was in uh, British politics for many, many years, in and out of different offices, uh, was a very aggressive man. And the war came at the beginning of the war. Uh, the prime minister that was there was very passive. And they're like, where's Winston? And they pull him on in. And uh, he comes in, and it's the only country in Europe that didn't give up or give in, uh, Britain, out of all the countries. And he got America to help and got America out of isolationism in World War II and uh, helped win the war for uh, Europe and just the World War as well. And uh, he says here, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. And what I think about when I think about Joseph is what an attitude he had. He had a very arrogant attitude at the beginning. He went through some incredible humbling over those 27 years. And yet you see the final product of what happened to him. is just absolutely amazing. And uh, Winston Churchill, uh, he said this. He says, history will be kind to me because I intend to write it. And uh, you've got to love his uh, spirit of being in the moment. You know, right after the war was over, many of you probably don't know this, but right after the war was won, he went to... Uh, be reelected again, thinking, I'm going to win. I just won the war. I saved the island. And they voted him out of office. And he was heartbroken. And he said to his wife, he says, Winnie, they don't love me anymore. And uh, this is really interesting. He had this, he was called into parliament around his 80th birthday, nine years after the war was over. And they were giving him a big standing ovation and cheering him on. And he said in his British accent, which I will not try, he says, I have never accepted what many people have kindly said, namely that I inspired the nation. Their will was resolute and remorseless, and as it proved unconquerable, it fell to me to express it. He says, it was the nation and the race dwelling all around the globe that had the lion's hearts. I had the luck to be called upon to give the roar. And he said this at 80 years old, dying just 10 years later at 90. And you know, I love that last statement he said. 
He said, I had the luck to be called upon to give the roar. And that really is the life of a true Christian. If you know God or you're wanting to know God, you have the luck to be called upon to inspire your family, to inspire your extended family, to inspire strangers, to change people's lives by the stand you take in seeing God. You know, uh, here, let me just give you a little uh, background about Joseph. Joseph was 11 of 12 sons. And Joseph, I don't have time to tell the story because there's a lot to tell. But Joseph, his mom was the guy that his dad wanted to marry. And through a bunch of circumstances, he married her, her sister first and didn't want to marry her. And then the one, woman he wanted to marry, he had to wait seven more years for. And then when he married her, he couldn't have children. And so then she pulled a Sarah and said, well, sleep with her. Give me some kids anyway. And it just on and on and on. Well, ten kids later, number 11, Joseph comes along. And Jacob was an old man now, and he was so blown away, so thankful to God, that unfortunately he favored him. And he, he, he even made it public to his brothers. His brothers knew it. Joseph knew it. In fact, his name, Joseph, means the Lord added. And meaning, they just couldn't believe that after all of this, all the barrenness, all the heartache, all the heartbreak, the Lord gave Rachel a son. And Jacob was born, or Joseph was born in old age to Jacob. And, you know, he made him this special jacket and he, he babied him. And, and, and uh, in fact, this is an interesting fact. When Jacob was going back to face Esau, he put baby, his little baby Joseph was near the back. Just so that nothing would happen to him. He was just, he favored him and it embittered his brothers incredibly. And incensed them. And it says in the book of Acts chapter 7, and this is kind of a, the premise for what I want you to think about today. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous, so they're telling the history now many thousands of years, hundreds of years later. He says, because the patriarchs, that's his brothers, were jealous of Joseph. They sold him as a slave into Egypt, but God was with him. And God rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so he made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. So right here, in just those short two verses, almost 30 years of Joseph's life was told. And the thing I want you to realize, that it was God working behind the scenes. It took Joseph a while to see it, but you and I are part of a bigger picture that's part of a bigger picture that's part of a bigger picture that much of the mosaic, much of the canvas, we will not be able to see until heaven. Oh, okay, God. Now I see why this and this and this happens. At the end of my life, I saw why this and this happened. But I didn't realize that was going to have a domino effect on this person who would help that person, who would help my great-grandson, who would help convert somebody, who would change this, who would do this. We have no idea the impact of our life if we're really willing to see God. You say, how can you see God? He's invisible. Well, that's the story of Joseph. And the, two, the, the main thing I want you to walk away with today is that when you see God, that you can be able to say, God can help me forget whatever trouble I've gone through. Not that you forget it, it's just the sting is gone. Just the paralysis of it's gone. 
just the incapacitating sorrow is gone. There's still, you remember it, but it's like so in the past. The things that are greater are so much uh, more joyful that it just seems small. That God can help me forget and God can help me be fruitful. God can help me forget and God can help me be fruitful. We're going to talk about three things here in Joseph's journey, 27 years. And, um, you know, if you're young, you say, gosh, I don't really have any problems. I don't pay bills. Everybody else gets stressed out about them. I don't know why. I don't really care how much gas you use. I don't care if you use air conditioning or heating. I don't, I don't, I mean, I care, but I don't care because it's, but you know, I read a book, um, a really good book, uh, in the last couple months called, um, Falling Upward. And the whole premise of the book is written by a Catholic priest was that somewhere between, he says, he says, quote, if you're on any, any, he says, if you're on God's spiritual schedule, somewhere between 35 and 50 years old, you will face significant loss. Death, death of a child, um, an illness, huge financial trial, something to where you're like a turtle on your back. You know, you, you, can't, you can't drum up enough resources from yourself or others to turn you back over. Anybody over 35 can relate to his... his uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's true. And as I've read other books about midlife, you know, we laugh about the midlife crisis. Everybody has crises by the time they're 35 to 50 because they've lived longer. And, and as I've read other books, it talks about how we navigate through those shoals will really determine the best part of our life, which is the second part and the impact we can make. In Genesis 37, in verse 19, you know, Joseph comes to find his brothers. His brothers are out uh, doing their thing. Joseph has had some dreams. He tells his brothers these dreams. You're going to bow down to me. I'm just, I'm just saying. I know... In fact, it was so bad. His arrogance was, as the Bible says the word, overweening pride. Like, it was so uh, just um, strong. Even his brother, his dad, rebuked him. What are you saying? Joseph, stop it. You think mom and I are going to bow down too? She's like, I'm just saying. I just had a dream. I don't know. So Joseph comes up. His brothers are out uh, shepherding. And they're very bitter. And it says in verse 19 of Genesis 37, Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, one of the brothers, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Go, Reuben. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing. And they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And so the story goes on. They go back to the dad. They take the robe. They kill a goat. They pour the goat's blood on the robe. They take it back to their dad. Can you imagine the guilt they must have felt those 30 years? And their dad... In verse 34, when he heard the story that they made up, 
that, his, that he was killed. It says, Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. But look at this next line. Meanwhile, see, you know, in God's story, there's always things going on behind the scenes that we cannot see. And at the time, they seem overwhelming and really negative or just seem completely insignificant. But God, the great playwright, is behind the scenes working out things to his glory all the time. And it says, meanwhile, uh, a little bit farther down, he says, The Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. God was guiding and working out all the details. It was purposeful that they were sold into slavery. It was God's plan that Reuben stood up for him before they killed him. It was God working behind the scenes. And, and I think, you know, when I think about this, everybody in this room has or will go into, wall, go into wells, fall into wells, or be thrown by somebody else, some other circumstance of your life, the people you live with, the people, your situation, or, or you fell in yourself, or you jumped in. You were so discouraged. Everybody is going to end up in the well or hitting walls. And, and it's this whole cycle of the Christian life. It's the whole cycle of life. Except most people go into the well and then they turn to other addictions to try to deal with the darkness in the well. Or they hit a wall and they turn to immerse themselves in other things to avoid real pain that's in their life. But it's this cycle all throughout life. From wells to walls, back to wells, back to walls. And sometimes you get out of the well and you're like, yes! Ha! Ah, relief! Easy street. Now my life, it was mine. It's working just to hit a wall. I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that there. And that's really what's happening here to Joseph. And you look in, verse, in chapter 39, a little bit farther down, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. So it looked really bad. And when it looks really bad, we have a choice. We can either give in to our emotions and go down the negative slippery slope of faithlessness, fatality, anxiety, worry, ignoring, avoidance. Or we can choose to worship God. You don't think Joseph was praying in that well after he yelled for his brothers and they wouldn't come, they wouldn't take him out? You don't think he was praying as they shackled him around the neck or around the legs and he got hooked and was just walking into Egypt and his brothers are going in one direction and he's looking back and he can't see him anymore? He's 17 years old. I mean, don't you, I mean, don't you remember being 17? Those of you that are a little bit older than 17 and 17, don't you know what I'm talking about right here? I mean, it's, you don't know a lot yet. And that's good and bad. But can you imagine his heart as his brothers are leaving and he's with these Midianites and he's being sold as a slave, heading off into a foreign land, away from his family, away from his worship, away from everything? Who was there to hold Joseph accountable going forward? Who was there to give him encouragement? Who was there to look in on him? Who was there to cheer him on through his 20s? It says the Lord was with Joseph. 
and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. See, it was God's plan that Potiphar bought him from the Midianites and that Potiphar was connected to Pharaoh. It was all God's plan. And it says, he lived in the house of his Egyptian master and when his master saw that the Lord was with him. How did the master see God was with him? His master, Potiphar, wasn't a worshiper of God. How did, the Bible doesn't say, but there was something about Joseph that showed that he worshipped. And it shows when you look at the whole story from 37 to chapter 50, it's almost one third of the book of Genesis, it shows that when called upon, and we'll look at this in a moment, when called upon to take credit, when called upon for help, he says, I can't do it, only God. Why would you, why did you get all excited about me? Get excited about God. I'm just a person. So, though the story doesn't tell us the details, somehow or another, Potiphar and or the other guards and or the other slaves and or the other servants knew Joseph worshipped God. You know, it's easy to worship God when things are going well in your life. Because you can see God. You go, what are you talking about? He's invisible. Yeah, but you can see the cascading blessings. And God is so good during those times, isn't he? Well, he's so good all the time. But we feel that God is so good during those times. And so we feel often like worshiping. And even our worship is different when we feel God is with us. But when isn't God with us? God is always there. We just have to see him. And when we're in the wells... We have to worship. When we're hitting walls, we have to worship. When we're in between the wells and the walls, that's not the time to pack it up and go, I'm, I mean, yeah, I know I need to worship, but I don't feel the need to. Because we're in the, when we're in the wells and we're hitting the walls, we have a harder time seeing God. You know, I've been listening to the Psalms. You know, Brian uh, told me that I'm a Proverbs guy. He's a Psalms guy. I'm more black and white. I'm more practical. He's more spiritual. No, he didn't say that. He's more musical, spiritual, poetic. Brian, I've become a Psalms guy. Uh, every morning I get up, I put on my headphones right when I wake up to multitask, use the time wisely as I'm brushing my teeth and flossing. You don't have to visualize. I'm just telling you. And uh, I look bad. And, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. And I kick on, you know, try to listen to ten Psalms just to kind of get my mind. And I've become a Psalms guy. You go, why? Because I've just i heard a lot. And I'm connecting. And I think of this psalm that says, in my alarm, you were cut off from my sight. Like, God, where are you? And he was there the whole time. He just sometimes doesn't let us see him when we're in the walls, or in the wells, or hitting walls. It says, the Lord is with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. So he moved up the ranks. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. And from the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord, you see the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. 
it was looking good for Joseph. Yes, he was still in slavery, but he was running the show. He had good food. He had good clothes. He had some freedom. He had, do you know what I'm saying? He had authority. It was going good for Joseph. It would have been time for him to pull back the worship and decide, yeah, I don't need to rely on God as much. I'm not feeling the walls and the wells. I, I mean, I'd rather not be here, but at least I've been raised up and at least I've got some freedom. And at, right in the middle of this, Joseph's, or Potiphar's wife keeps pursuing Joseph because he was well-built and handsome. And he keeps pursuing and pursuing. And that's how sin is. Hits you this way, hits you this way, hits you this way, hits you this way. And then it just starts to like really hit you. And just to give you encouragement, when you're going through something and you feel like, man, the temptation is just intense for now. It'll pass. Satan tries to do the, you know, and, and, it, and then it passes. You even see it with Jesus. Then Satan, you know, it says, then the angels came and attended him after he went through an intense time. So he's getting attacked and attacked and attacked. And his wife, no one else is in the house. Potiphar says, she, she says, come on, come to bed with me. He says, no one is greater in the house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend his duties. None of the household servants was in sight. So she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand. This is Genesis 39, 12. He left his cloak in her hand, ran out of the house. And when she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has brought has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard the scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Wow. What a challenge. Things were going well. Things were going better. What happened? Well, everybody has to suffer. Everybody has to struggle. I don't know why God was doing all the things he was doing at this junction of the story, but when you see the end of the story, you go, hmm, I could see what God was doing in Joseph's heart to be able to have the heart 10, 15 years later that he had towards the end of the story. You know, this whole idea of a split second. How many of us have done things where you thought, I better not do this, I better not do this, and then just gave in in the heat of emotion, the moment, whatever. How, how many of us have done that? Look around. H- how many of us has it gone well for you uh, when you did that? Okay, younger people, because you're, 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 at the, you're at the 17 Joseph, you're not at the 44 Joseph yet. How many, how, how many has it gone well when you just gave in to the heat of the emotion, the moment, said, I know I shouldn't do this, but ah! Look behind you. Look at all the hands up. Just look back. Okay, Brian, he's got his hand up over here. I mean, it, it doesn't go well. And I think all of us have these temptations in the split second of going down a path of self-pity or going down a path of quitting or going down a path of disengaging or going down the path of discouragement or going down a path of bitterness or going down a path of God's forgotten me, I'm done or being short-sighted or whatever it is or giving into lust, or giving into stealing, or giving into lying, or giving into your friends. 
it's not worth it. Joseph right there could have gotten away with it, given into pleasure, and maybe with his authority he could have carried it on for a while. But do you think it would have went well for him and never been exposed? No. There's a proverb that, that's really powerful. It says that if a man commits murder, he'll be a fugitive till death. Meaning, even if he doesn't get caught, even if no one ever knew who killed that person, who knows? He does. He's running from his own shadow. He knows. She knows. And most importantly, God knows. And that's the most haunting part. And I'm so thankful that Joseph made this example for us to not give in, even between the walls and the wells. You know, this guy on my screen here, you know who that is? Rachel. He said, just because you're blind, you shouldn't close your eyes. And Ray Charles impacted Elvis Presley, impacted Aretha Franklin, impacted Michael Jackson. I mean, he was the godfather. But what's interesting about him, he became blind because of an accident at the age of seven. So up to seven years old, he could see. And then at 14 years old, he lost both of his parents in another accident. Could you imagine at seven how hard that would be to be suddenly I could see, I know what's up, to now I'm blind, and then trying to redo your whole life and how your adolescence would go, and then 14, both your parents are killed in an accident? Could you imagine how lost, how dark the well would be? And what he remembered and was forever challenged by was his mom's early admonition somewhere between 7 and 14. She says, Son, you're blind, but you're not stupid. You lost your, you lost your sight. You didn't lose your mind. So use it. And I think if we can see God, even when things look blind to us, when we're flying blind, we're in these wells, we're hitting these walls, it's amazing what can happen. You know, if you look down in Genesis 39, he's thrown into prison after this incident. How unfair. And it says in, in, in Genesis 39, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness. There he is again, God working. Granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord is with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. You know, at times, God puts limits on our lives. We feel imprisoned. And even though Joseph made the best out of it, he still wanted, it said later, I'll share the story in a second. Hey, get me out of this prison. So it's okay when we're feeling limits and we're feeling challenged and we're feeling imprisoned. It's okay to go, but I want out. But it's not okay just to sit down and quit and give up. So, you know, studies have been done. The Holocaust survivors that survived versus the ones that didn't were the ones that gave up. The ones that were able to find some meaning, you go, meaning, meaning in what was happening around them and some beauty in what was happening around them 
found a will to live that the others couldn't find. And, and you could just see a major difference. They even had a term they called them Muslims, where people that had given up, they were just like zombies walking around, blank stare. But the ones that could find beauty and meaning, even amongst incredible horror and pain, if they didn't die of illness, didn't give up and survived. You know, when we get put in prison, we can still be productive. And Joseph was imprisoned against his will. And many of our limits, not all, are given against their will. I was having a talk with Andy like, I don't know, maybe nine months ago, and I was feeling discouraged about some of the limits in my life and in my character and in my weaknesses and my personality and my challenges. And he goes, Marco? I go, yeah. He goes, do you remember we went snowshoeing? Yeah. He goes, do you remember we went, there used to be snow in California, like, and water that wasn't stolen, um, bought, I mean. And so we were snowshoeing. He goes, remember we went snowshoeing? I said, yeah. He goes, do you remember how we were climbing that slope, hill thing, kind of hill, but slope, and I made you stop. Okay, it was uphill, but it wasn't like a hill, you know, it's just a hill. He goes, I made you stop. I said, yeah, I remember, because my heart was getting a little too uh, fast. Uh, I go, yeah. And he goes, because I couldn't, I wasn't, you know, conditioned. I needed to rest, and then we'd keep going. He goes, well, you have limits too. And everybody has limits. And, you know, it's easy to see that for other people. Yeah, you got some limits there. Well, bro, be faithful. God's with you. But when it's your own, and you have to face it, it's super humbling. Can be very discouraging. And everybody in this room has limits. My one daughter said to me the other day, I can't wait till I drive because then I'm going to go where I want. I I don't have to rely on you guys. And I'm thinking, but you're going to be limited by insurance, gas, car repairs, and maintenance. I've averaged about $300 a month just to run it, or $200 a month to run even a junk car. Between, you know, an average, actually $300 when you add maintenance, gas, and insurance. All of us have limits. I wish I was taller, but not on an airplane. Or on a bicycle. I like being small on a bicycle. Do you know what I'm saying? Everybody has limits. Physical limits. Being single has limits. Being married has limits. Having kids has limits. Not having kids has limits. Your job financially has limits. Everything has limits. But what we do when we're in prison, when we're limited, if we can still be productive... It's amazing what God can do. You know, I'm so proud of Ken and Lena Chow. I really respect them. Uh, I don't think they're here today, but I've thought about them a lot. Ken and I have been friends since we were single. I knew Ken back uh, maybe when I was 20 years old. And we met, I remember the day we met him. A bunch of single brothers went up to San Francisco to a conference. And he came running out, and he came out of his house in the Ken kind of way. Hey! You know, but just a younger version. And uh, welcomed me in. And we just stayed friends through conferences over the years. And... And I, I look at the challenges he's been through, and Ken and Lena have been through in the last five years, and I go, that's how I want to be. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, and I told him, I said, I respect you. I told him a couple days ago, I admire you, and I'm taking notes. I said, that's how I want to be. That when you have these limits, still being productive. You know, it says a little farther on, what happened was, a couple guys in the prison had some dreams. Joseph said, they found out Joseph can interpret dreams. He goes, I'll tell you what the dreams meant, but when you get out of the prison, don't 
forget me. Could you imagine the hope that he felt at that time? In Genesis 40, verse 8, it says, We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said, Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And he tells them, and he, they're accurate. One's really good, one's really bad. The one that went good could have gotten him out of prison. And he says in verse 14 of Genesis 40, Hey, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. And what's the next line? Get me out of this prison! He may not have said it that way, but that's probably how he felt. For I was forcibly carried from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. I appreciate Joseph saying, I want out, and let me keep it real. I shouldn't be here. But even amongst that, he still was productive, and God used him in a very powerful way and raised him up. You know, I found this... You know, this whole idea, this, this prison here, this old picture. I mean, can you imagine being locked in a room like that? I mean, that'd be rough. They've done studies, too. Solitary confinement can make you insane. You're made to be around people. Even though we don't feel that sometimes, we're like, hey, lock me in a straitjacket, put me in a room, I'll be fine for about two years. I mean, I just need some space. From, you know, we feel that from being on the freeway and all the challenges of smog and everything else. But could you imagine how he must have felt? How alone, how unfair, how cut off, how discouraged. Yet I bet he had some of the best prayers. He didn't give up on his faith. He was still productive. Productive enough to know that when people wanted something, they came to him. Productive enough to know that that he, the reputation of him interpreting dreams came back to him. And then he was still soft-hearted because when asked, he said, I can't do it, but God can. He hadn't lost his faith. You know, I, I think of this story that I found. Uh, this guy, it's the only picture I could find. This guy behind me, um, his name is Dr. Carlson. He's long passed away. He was around, he was one of the early fathers of the disabled um, and he had cerebral palsy severely. And it, he, it says that he, uh, before he was five years old, he could, couldn't even balance himself to shuffle his feet. However, in this boy's heart lived a giant. He battled, he battled with cerebral palsy. He battled handicaps and embarrassment like no one else all of his life. He struggled at Princeton University. He struggled at Yale Medical School. And in it revealed a drama of determination. Slowly, he climbed the staircase of schooling and study. Ultimately, Dr. Earl Carlson, in the 1920s and 30s, was considered the foremost authority in our country on cerebral palsy. And he had it himself. There he is helping the girl uh, into the pool there. And there there was a book written about, entitled, kind of locked in this body, in this body. What can we do with our limits? Look what Joseph did. You know, I'm really proud of Gina Stickley. I think about what Gina's been through. Leaving the church, going through a very difficult time, marrying a great guy, coming back, getting her heart back, getting her faith back, and still appreciate all the women that study with her. How she's running everything behind the scenes, uh, did the incredible job at the Christmas show, helping with the Women's Day, and helps my family. Michelle and her are really good friends and connect on so many levels. And she's a real, she's a hero to my daughters. My daughters love going to her house. My daughters love getting comfort and counsel from her. And I appreciate her not letting her limits keep her from being productive. You know, this last section of passage, 
it's a really long story. We're not going to tell the details. But here's Joseph now. Fast forward. He gets out of the prison. And it says in Genesis 40, 23, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So after that scenario where Joseph's like, I'm going to get out! As that door clanged shut and the, and the, uh, the chief cupbearer went out, he thought, oh, yeah, any day now they're going to call my name. Two more years went by. He was still in prison. It says, however, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And we can feel like that from God sometimes. And later on, Pharaoh has these intense dreams. He tells the chief cupbearer, the chief cupbearer goes, oh my gosh, I blew it. I was not a man of honor. Well, what? What are you talking about? There was a guy in prison that helped me. And... Anyway, this guy can help you. And so he goes, he, they get him. So the Bible says he changes his clothes and he shaves. Can you imagine Joseph thinking, I may just clean myself up only to be put right back in here. And, and you see the unfairness that was given to Joseph. Do you know, life is unfair for everybody. I was having a really tough time the other day. And, I mean, uh, really discouraged. And I was just like sitting with one of my daughters and I was holding back tears because I felt so much emotion. And, um, and I remember just saying to God, God, I didn't sign up for this. And I felt guilty, like, right after I said it in my heart. Like, because, I mean, what I'm talking about is life. You know, it's like, what, I didn't sign up for life. But, you know, when you go through difficult times, it's easy to get filled with self-pity. It's easy to just retreat. It's easy to blame God. And then it's easy to even envy other people's situation. How come they don't? Oh, they do. You just haven't looked close enough because you're so consumed with you. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, how they don't have, and they don't have to, and how come he, and, you know, it's so easy to compare. Life is unfair for everybody. Life is challenges for everyone. But it's amazing that with that level of unfairness, he was tempted with bitterness, he didn't give in to it. He was tempted with discouragement, he didn't totally give full vent to it. He was tempted with pity, he didn't give in to it. I'm not saying he didn't have weak moments. But he didn't give into it. And when his brothers, he finally met his brothers through a series of events. In verse chapter 45, verse 4, it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they realized that he had now become second to Pharaoh through a series of events. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph. He had just wept and wept and wept in the other room. The one who you sold into Egypt. And do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save that... Save the lives that God sent me ahead of you. You know, behind me is Lady Justice. She's a Greek goddess. Her eyes are blindfolded, saying that justice is completely objective. It's got the scales. It's going to be fair. It's got the sword of truth and reason. And you go, God, come on. You can see everything. Why are you forgetting me? Why is it not fair for me? And yet we have to see God even when it seems like God's eyes are blindfolded. Even it seems like when the scales are like this. God is always working. It says, for two more years, there's been famine in the land, and for the next five, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
What a story of forgiveness. What a story of seeing God. He says, He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of Egypt. You know, this woman here, you've probably not heard of her, but you probably heard it on the news. She was killed in 2006. Uh, she's a, uh, she was a nun, Sister Leonella from Italy. She arrived in Africa in 1968, and she served the poor in Africa in, in uh, Somalia, one of the most dangerous places, and Kenya. And in 2002, she became, began a nursing school at a children's hospital in Mogadishu. Remember Mogadishu, Black Hawk Down? Remember Mogadishu, we pulled all our troops out and said, we're not getting involved. This Somalia is just crazy. That's where all the pirates are coming from now. Just lawless. Well, she was there in 2002, opened a children's orphan home, children's hospital, excuse me, and nursing school in Mogadishu. She was joyful, easily approachable, open, generous, and always available for others, one of the other nuns said. But she was aware of the dangers in Somalia, and it did not stop her from serving others. On Sunday morning, September 17, 2006, so seven years ago, she was gunned down by assassins as she walked 30 feet from the Mogadishu hospital to one of the other nuns' homes. Sister Leonella used to joke that there was a bullet with her name engraved on it. And when the bullet came, she used her last breaths to forgive those responsible for her death. One of the other nuns were the first to reach her, and as she's lying on the ground in her last gasps, still alive, cold sweat, the nun, other nuns, we held hands, looked at each other, and before turning out like a little candle, three times she repeated as she looked up to me, forgive, forgive, forgive. And then she breathed her last. That's what Joseph did. How powerful. How did he have that kind of spirit? Well, look at what God did to him. From the wells, to the walls, to the prison, to the unfairness. And I just want to close with this verse, which is so powerful. Before Joseph knew the end of the story, and before the famine began, God, Pharaoh said, here's your wife. And he's like, all right, not going to get much else. So sure, come on. He marries this woman. And he has two sons. And he named his firstborn son Manasseh. And he said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. He was so heartbroken. He hadn't met his brothers yet. He was so heartbroken about his family and his brothers and his father. I'll never see him again. I don't know if they're alive. I don't know anything about him. But God's allowed me to work through it. And the second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in my land of suffering. And I want you to think about that today. That no matter what you're going through or you will go through, these split-second decisions we make to what fork of the road we're going to go down to make all the decisions in the world in our lives, our future, our eternal impact. And no matter what we go through, if we're willing to see God, God can always help us forget. And God can always help us be fruitful. Thank you.